Everybody and welcome to the JNO podcast. Don't hit that unsubscribe bu- button just yet. Uh, this is Josh. I'm going to be your host today, but Jason, our normal host, is on with us. Say hello, Jason. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Josh, you have to host this one. You're, you're the biggest Batman 1989 fan that I've ever met, and and tr- trust me, I, I've met quite a few. Yes, and that is a badge I wear proudly. Uh, definitely a movie that nobody speaks of unfavorably. This movie, Batman, released in 1989, celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. I don't usually, I don't think I've ever demanded to host an episode before or asked, and I. I, you know, maybe, you know, makes me feel kind of like a loser. Maybe I should have done it for like a really cool thing, like a human rights issue or something like an important social issue. But instead, I did it for Batman 1989. And I, uh, I'm just excited to talk about it. I love talking about this movie. I love reading about it. The first movie I ever saw in theaters when I was three years old. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I remember being there. I remember like, you know, getting excited at the right times. I, I don't, but Still, just it's been such a big part of my life for, you know, for 30 years this year. I remember when I used to go over to your house uh, when we were kids. It was probably your only VHS tape or the only one you ever wanted to watch because we always had that thing on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we were kind of poor at the time. and uh, But Grandma Turan, our wonderful grandmother, actually knowing how much I loved Batman, uh, bought me that tape when it came out on VHS. I still actually have the VHS, which I do treasure. I mean, I, I can't believe that thing still plays because I, like my sister even makes comments or she'll bring that up once in a while, how like literally that was the only thing that was on um, for a long time at our house. So, like when she was watching me and stuff, that was all I would want to do is watch Batman. So big shout out to my sister Tara for uh, always letting me put Batman on. She, at this point, honestly, she knows a lot of the lines by heart from me making her watch it so damn much. That's a that's actually pretty awesome because I didn't know that Grandma Turan bought you that. Again, a big shout out to Grandma Turan on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I didn't know that. That's awesome. No, it is. Yeah, I'm mean, like I definitely appreciate it. Without that, uh, the movie probably took about fifty to you know sixty percent of the uh, responsibility for raising me. One thing I remember is like when you were around three or four, you used to always flip your jacket up and act like it was a cape when you were running around. People thought I definitely had developmental disabilities at the time. <laughs> um, my mom actually, I had Batman uh, pajamas, which was cool because they came with like a, a removable Velcro cape. Um, I would ha- I asked my mom to cut the feet out of the pajamas because I think I- I've never liked anything on my feet when I was sleeping. But I guess like what I used to do at our uh, when we lived in a flat was uh, again, we were doing well financially was I would get on the couch and I would have my little cape on and stuff and I would jump off the side of the couch. And I always did that acting as if I was Batman. And then there was actually the lesser kind of the less cute time. Um, not that that other time was that cute, but when uh, the movie Dark Man was out. And for anyone who's familiar with that, we probably will not be doing a retrospective about Dark man but um dark man if you remember was the guy who had the bandages all over him like the you know like yeah. an ace bandage rolled around him and i actually when i watched that i had a phase where i quite enjoyed that so i would wrap an ace bandage around my head and i would run around as dark man as well just like that thing you're you know following something up with that's not nearly as cute or in- <laughs> endearing so yeah you had a pretty good childhood yeah <laughs> <laughs> two, two, of, two of my best memories, of, like uh, literally from growing up. Well, one thing I do remember, we're, we're going to eventually get to the Batman uh, review here, but I remember when we were kids, uh, we would spend a lot of time at Grandma and Grandpa's because they had pretty much raised us when we were, you know, kids. Mm-hmm. 
But when we were over their house, we we always were playing Batman. And I wasn't like a huge fan of it. But I remember I would always make sure that I was Batman because I, I was a little bit older than you and weighed probably 20 more pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I had a little bit more pool there. But I remember I, I always had to be Batman and you always had to be Joker just so I could beat the living crap out of you. So, so that's, that's, that's a memory I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I guess for, I kind of forgot about that. Probably one of those things that you push down, like, for, like, you know, just unresolved, like, rage that you have against somebody. But um, I do remember that now, actually. And I remember, like, trying to, and I think I had, at certain points, I would uh, say, like, okay, well, if you're Batman, like, can I be Robin? And I think I was always turned down in that place and said, like, I have to be Joker. And then, like, yeah, I think I was probably smacked and, you know, hit over the head with stuff and whatever. So, yeah, I do remember that, too, as well. Um, a, like, thing, a more uh, favorable memory that I didn't, repress it from that time was when uh you actually this you know sort of made up for it in a way it was when you would actually draw me batman comics oh and- i forgot you, i now i remember doing that because i remember i would go home and draw them for you so i could bring them to grandma's house for you the next day <laughs> which was actually awesome it was funny because i do remember reviewing one of them um like reading it and uh you had just given it to me and we were at grandma and grandpa's house and i'd like it was just funny because not that, you know, I was a, a genius or anything like that, but I did remember may, maybe just from reading it on the VHS case or so much, but like Batman was spelled Batman. So like, I remember seeing that and thinking like, you know, like, okay, well, Batman spelled wrong. And then I think Alfred was Alfred so, or Alfred maybe. So like, I, I just remember, I remember a couple of like spelling errors or whatever that I thought like, you know, eh, that's okay though. It's still, I mean, it's, it's a really cool. I mean, obviously this would never make it, you know, to, you know, print like for DC comics, but it's, it's cool though. It's really cool. And the art's really good. Cause you were always a good drawer. So I, I would love if you had any of those to see what they look like. I guarantee they're somewhere at my parents' house still. Cause we never threw anything away. I wonder what the store, the storylines were. If we find one, uh, like I said, at my parents' house, we never threw anything away. If we find one, we'll do a follow-up to this, maybe a bite-sized episode, or we'll actually go through and read one. So let's watch it. You know, might, might happen. So watch out for that. All right, let's get to the let's get to the review here. Yep. So um, uh, before we get into the movie itself, like we're going to take you back a little bit. Just to set the stage, superhero movies around the time of Batman's release, they're weren't nearly as omnipresent as they are today. Um, Really, the only thing that came before was uh, Richard Donner's Superman series. Uh, At least I know he directed the first film, at least, which was a huge success in 1978. It was actually Warner Brothers' highest grossing film of the 70s, which Batman would take that honor in the 80s for the movie we're talking about today. And hey, uh, just Superman is my favorite superhero. Well, we're not talking about Superman today. We're talking about Batman. I want to just mention that that Superman film is incredible. Probably the only good Superman movie ever made. I would completely agree with that. And I think, um, I mean, even just based on the returns or the series, I, I think, you know, the general public did as well. Because Superman uh, from 1978 did spawn three sequels, but each with gradually diminishing returns. So by the time the series wrapped in 87 with the, you know, Superman 4, I think it was Quest for Peace or something. It, there was really no clamoring for superhero movies by the end of that. So you know, this is a different time. I mean, now we seem to get four to five different superhero, you know, themed or tie, you know, tie-in movies every year. That was not the case back here in the uh, late seventies uh, through the eighties, even. And in the late seventies, Batman's popularity, just in general, was just waning. Um, one thing that I found when uh, you know doing a little bit of research for this episode is, I guess, at one point CBS was interested and getting the rights and producing a film called Batman in Outer Space, which sure would have been really good. And it sounded like at the time, the only appetite was really for 
continuing Batman in that similar, uh, uh, the campy 1960s uh, theme. So, you know, put that theme in outer space and you're probably looking at the definite box office turd. So I'm kind of sorry you missed out on that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it would be funny to revisit. But at the time, though, so while this is all going on, you know, around the time Superman's out, um, a couple of producers, uh, Ben Melnicker, and Michael Uslan, who actually sounds like he's kind of like, you know, maybe the unsung hero of, uh, you know, Batman just actually, you know, com- having its kind of second life, um, wanted to get the rights from DC Comics. And they actually did in uh, 1979. And Uslan, he actually said, he even came right out and said it was his wish to make the definitive, dark, serious version of Batman the way Bob Kane and Bill Finger had envisioned it back in 1939 when they created it. So, this was a guy, I think, who understood the, you know, understood the character and understood that, you know, that whole kind of detour of doing the campy shit back in the 60s really wasn't how that character was, you know, was created and what they what they intended to do with it. So, you know, big shout out to Michael Lucille in case you're listening out there. He's definitely listening. Yeah. So, I mean, they actually so this happened, you know, they got the rights to it. They announced a Batman film in 1980, then kind of silence. And then they announced it again in 83 with a tentative uh, release for 1985. So, I mean, obviously, and then knowing that the actual film comes out in 89, there's obviously a lot of uh, delays plaguing this production. But then actually the success of the graphic novels, The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke, uh, which are two uh, like absolutely awesome in case nobody's read them. Jason, I think I let you borrow at least one of those to, to read are just phenomenal, super good. You don't have to be like someone who's super into comics to enjoy those stories. They're just super good. The art and the uh, the story, the writing is amazing. So I would highly recommend those to anybody. And I think both of those have been uh, animated films as the last couple of years. Yeah. Right? They have absolutely so that i mean just gives you an idea so these are definitely i mean these are ones that people point to as uh, as inspiration which actually the killing joke in particular was a, a big inspiration and a big selling point for tim burton who was going to be brought in to direct uh to direct this film and for batman 1989 after the big success of peewee's big adventure so i mean obviously it seems like a weird pairing going from peewee's to batman but you know, somebody, they looked at this guy, they knew he uh, had a vision, they knew he was a creative, you know, juggernaut, so someone decided he was the right guy, and I I got to agree. And I'm going to say, Pee-wee's Big Venture is awesome, so yeah, definitely a good move bringing him in. I think, yeah, highly, highly underrated is Tim Burton, especially uh, in this day and age where he's not as active as he was, you know, in the late 80s, uh, early 90s. So, Jace, let's move on to the casting here. So, obviously, for Batman, there was a huge backlash for Michael Keaton. One of the, you know, famous figures that's always quoted is that there was 50,000 actual letters, you know, written physical letters sent to the Warner Brothers office uh, to protest his casting as Batman. So, I mean, this was not just going on to social media and posting your displeasure with something. This was, you know, 50,000 fucking dorks actually sat down with a pen and paper and wrote a letter that was sent into Warner Brothers. And there, I mean, at the time, it did have to seem odd. Uh, Something like action movies people were used to already at this point. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, two people who were actually considered for Batman at this time, but there were also some lesser, uh, maybe expected names. Uh, Nicholas Cage was in there, Patrick Swayze, uh, Kurt Russell, Bruce Willis, and a name that I found uh, particularly interesting, Tom Selleck. So I don't know if Tom Selleck would have kept the mustache and he would have that would have been poking out through the cowl if he were to have been cast as Batman. Um, we, I mean, at this point, we can only use our imagination, but going back and having revisited the movie, what do you 
think yeah at this point when you go back and you see what what do you think about michael keaton as batman and at least in my opinion i think he's the best batman film wise completely agree i he's just so cool but i can see because back then the only thing you knew him from was comedies and all that so i can see like people kind of being upset and thinking like oh they're just gonna make this batman movie like a like campy just like in like the 60s version mm-hmm. so i can kind of see people kind of being annoyed with you know we have all these great graphic novels of batman like where it's intense it's just great storytelling and they're just going to give us camp but luckily i mean he pulled it off he was cool in the movie it, it's weird like because sometimes like i was looking when he's in like the batman suit it's like that does not look like michael keaton yeah absolutely it's uh and he can definitely fill out a pair of levi's as i uh remember thinking to myself um great ass watching uh one of the scenes in the Batcave with him and vicky vale which we'll get to that later but um actually funny you mention that though because in the original script bruce wayne was actually described as just a man with muscles on top of muscles and scarred from nightly combat so yeah i can sort of understand um the hesitancy at least Um, But it's actually funny because one of the producers, John Peters, actually, he was the one who suggested Michael Keaton. The reason he did this is based on Michael Keaton's performance in a really actually great film called Clean and Sober. And he thought that Keaton had what he called that edgy, tormented quality. And I got to agree. I think Michael Keaton can switch from that kind of like, you know, charming, goofy, fun guy to a guy who you think does have a bit of a darker side, as he does show in this movie quite a bit. Then he had a... So, but yeah, I mean, I think he definitely showed that I Keaton forever. I think at this point, my favorite Batman to date, it's going to be hard to top because I think he had a lot working against him in that. Right. Um, again, not the typical action star you would consider in your head. And the fact that he overcame that to create a portrayal of that character that is as memorable as it is, I, I think is something to be admired and something to be respected. So uh, moving on to the other lead in the movie, obviously the person who's going to be opposite Keaton's Batman, which is going to be the Joker. Um, a, a shorter list I was able to find of names that were tossed around for that. And, you know, some ones that I guess were, I guess, even more bizarre in a way. Uh, Tim Curry and David Bowie, I could see those as being kind of potentially, you know, pretty logical um, guesses. But then John Lithgow, I guess, was a name that they were going after pretty heavily. And I guess he even just, he uh, actually had said that it was one of his biggest regrets that he didn't take the role. I think they were about to give it to him outright. And he just didn't really even pursue it. He didn't. What he even said was he didn't realize that this was going to be as big of a deal as it was and that he came to regret it later. I could see him actually doing a really good job, too. Yes, I think so, too. I have not seen this, but I've heard on Dexter he played a villain in one of the seasons and he was absolutely chilling. So, well, that was the because Melissa usually rewatches that like every year. And I actually sat down and watched a whole that whole season with him because he was awesome in that. Yeah. And that actually it's funny. Holly said that was the first uh, episode she saw of Dexter and he was in that and she said it like freaked her out for like it stayed with her for like months I guess after that like she started she started the series after that from like uh, the beginning but she said she can't watch that season again because like that was just so unsettling and disturbing so I think John Lithgow mm-hmm. um, again it's one of those names I think would have been more unexpected at the time but seeing what he was capable of later is now you got to only wonder what could have happened, well, you know, what could have been. Yeah, I'm guessing he would have been like wagging his ass around and shit like that, like yeah. Nicholson did. But. <laughs> Probably. So we obviously know that the role goes to Jack Nicholson. One of the interesting things I read is uh, one of the other names and somebody who I guess really wasn't one of the first picks in the producer's minds. 
But um, somebody who was trying to heavily really uh, pursue that role was Robin Williams. He was uh, offered the role of the Joker when Nicholson actually hesitated. So he, this is actually kind of an interesting story. So it appears that, you know, Nicholson was showing a little bit of hesitation. Um, Robin Williams really wanted it. I guess he was really like hard going after it. What they did is they went back to Nicholson, told him that Williams was going to take the part if he didn't, and Nicholson took it at that point. So I guess Rob Williams really was a little pissed off on that for a while because he felt that he was being used as bait. So he actually refused playing the Riddler in Batman Forever, um, one of the less good Batman movies that we will not revisit on this show. He refused to be involved in any Warner Brothers productions until the studio apologized. What do you think would have been uh, what it would have looked like with a Robin Williams Joker? Again, I think that would have been probably incredible. Have you ever seen like one hour photo and stuff like that? Yeah, he is super. I mean, he can, he can, yeah, he can just transform into like any role. So I could imagine him being absolutely incredible. And the Joker role, they let Nicholson play that as big as he wanted. I can't even imagine how big it would have been with Robin Williams. Uh, And I don't blame him. I mean, that is bull crap because his studio is definitely using him as leverage. Mm -hmm. And I heard they had to give, you know, back end to Nicholson. They had a, you know, he could only shoot on certain dates. So, I mean, they really bent over backwards for him. (laughs) I I mean, I think rightfully so. I think even to date, um, you know, might be an unpopular opinion, but I I still love Nicholson as a Joker. I think he's definitely my favorite Joker. I I just think he's hilarious. I think he has the right mix of just the goofy, over-the-top, scenery-chewing Joker, as well as kind of that ability to turn on a dime and be this sadistic just bastard who just you know is killing people i mean he kills his right hand man in a split second uh that being I love that bob the goon bob it's done going to need a minute or two alone boys um so i, I mean i think nicholson's amazing i mean i just love nicholson anyways really in anything but um as a follow-up to your point yeah i mean nicholson got a sweet you know sweet deal for this movie so What I was able to find was that he not only received a $6 million salary, which, you know, some people would say is paltry, but he actually got a large percentage of, he was able to negotiate actually getting a large percentage of the box office gross. So actually getting points on the movie, which have been estimated to have netted him somewhere between 60 to 90 million, which it's still one of the biggest salaries for any actor, you know, any sort of back end deal for an actor in a movie ever. So Nicholson obviously playing some hardball there and definitely made a shitload of money from this film. I'm not, you know, I'm just saying Robin Williams would have been incredible and all those and and Lithgow, but I mean, this movie is Nicholson. I mean, it wouldn't have made nearly this without his name attached to it. Just like you, Josh, he's my favorite Joker ever. I mean, he is so over the top. He's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... They made a good deal. I mean, I mean, they should have bent over backwards because that's why it was so successful, I think. <laughs> Love that Actually, part of his deal was uh, that Nicholson was getting top billing on all promotional materials, which I always was curious about that. I remember as a kid even watching, thinking like it's weird on the poster and weird on the in the mm. movie, you know, when you see the credits that his name comes first. But I mean, really, you got to think. I mean, Michael Keaton was a name at this point, but I mean you're not going to match Nicholson when it comes to star power. So, I mean, it, it completely makes sense. And yeah, to your point, this really is, you know, almost like the Jack Nicholson show in a way it's, it's really just a, a film where and when he's on screen, he's allowed to just let loose and be as absurd as possible, which I, I just think works for the movie works for the character. And I just love it. You can call me Joker. And as you can see, I'm a lot happier.
what a day. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously tying back into some of the, you know, controversy or some of the apprehension that the public had for this at the time was there was a lot of negative rumors going around. And what was happening, and going back to your point as far as people being worried about that camp issue, um, tying in with even with like having a com- someone who was perceived as a comedic actor like Keaton brought on to play the lead, um, the studio actually decided to combat that by putting together a theatrical trailer pretty hastily. And what they did, they just wanted to get something out there, get people talking, show people that we are serious about pursuing this kind of darker tone that you're not expecting from, you know, this Batman movie. And they actually showed it to an unsuspecting audience. And the 90 second trailer, which you can find on YouTube uh, whenever you want, it got a standing ovation. And it actually, it was a weird phenomenon, probably one of the first times ever. People were literally paying full price to go see a movie just to see this trailer. And then they, so a lot of people would leave even before the feature began. So the, the, the Batmania, as it was dubbed at the time, was in full force here. And yeah, I mean, and Batmania, they, it pays off. The movie becomes an absolute phenomenon. So over, not only does the movie gross $250 million, which in today's dollars is, you know, almost, you know five, almost $600 million, it sells over $500 million in tie-in products. So double what the movie grossed at the box office, it sells in merchandise, which is absolutely insane. And I think we I think we own a lot of that merchandise. I remember that Christmas, you got the Batmobile. Yes, I, I got the Batmobile with the, uh, the gear shift where once you clicked that, the rockets would shoot out. I lost the rockets immediately. And the Batmobile <laughs> made this horrifyingly annoying noise whenever you would push it to try to make it sound like it was like a real car. But I, I still have that thing. Thing. um i treasure it it's I, I i love the fact that i still have that um i do remember some of this other stuff too i mean i i'm sure i had a batman i'm sure i had a batman t-shirt and stuff like that as mm-hmm. i was looking up the merchandise uh it was actually kind of funny so some of the kind of crazier stuff they were i mean they they were going all out with this i mean warner brothers really threw probably not only for warner brothers but for any studio really threw more money into promotion for this movie than i think probably had ever been seen before some of the shit that you see they're selling. So there was a black denim jacket studded with rhinestones for $500. Sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, back in 1989 money. <laughs> Jacket's ne- never going to be outdated. They had its own currency called Batman Bucks. And as I looked into this more to understand what the hell this was, evidently packed inside of every VHS box of a particular uh, set of movies. Honestly, I'm embarrassed to say I've never heard of any of these. Uh, Dangerous Liaisons, Split Decisions, Police Academy 6, City Under Siege, which is honestly the most most marketable name here, and a little-known movie called Street Justice would come with a certain number of these Batman bucks. And then you, there was a catalog available where you could cash in your Batman bucks. You had to send in a form indicating what product you wanted. Pretty insane. So this is, this I think is, I mean, I don't think we would even see shit like that today. So the amount of promotion, the amount of marketing going on here, I think is insane. I've seen news reports for the time where there was people with, uh, you know, Batman logos shaved into their hair, guys who were probably constantly getting laid. And, um, (laughs) Just it just it was off the chart. So the excitement for this movie had was was building to an, a fever yeah. pitch. Um, I remember we had the Batman cereal that tasted like crap. 
And then we and then we both had the Batman video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is actually an awesome game. Yes, and uh, the bat, which really again, they it's one of those cases where clearly you know people aren't talking uh, and understanding you know the product because I believe in that game you have to punch to death a lot of robots. There's not a single robot in the Batman 1989 film at all. So that, and I know there was a guy in a jetpack who was like the biggest fucking pain in the ass to kill. So like again, there's like not to spoil anything, but there's no guy in a jetpack in the film so and, and batman didn't have like a fucking revolver where he just killed everybody <laughs> yeah. so um yeah so i but again, get a good, good game it is funny uh, that you mentioned the cereal because i actually remember your mother taking me to the grocery store and i remember sitting in the the top of the cart where you can put you know smaller children and i remember seeing that on an end cap i re- vividly remember this which shows like i really have not had an interesting or you know fulfilling life and I remember seeing that and pointing at it and your mom and I couldn't verbalize. And I still, I remember even at the store, remember not being able to verbalize in my head. Cause I couldn't even say like, aunt Mary, can I please have that cereal? I just was sitting there like an idiot pointing at it and going like, I'm a Batman. Yeah. And she somehow understood that. And she actually bought me the cereal is super cool. And I, to your yeah. point, it probably did taste like shit. But at the time as a kid, just, just having a bowl full of bat symbols, was like the coolest thing ever. So like, I didn't even care. I think if I remember right, it tasted what I imagine like a really, like really shitty off-brand Captain Crunch tastes like if I'm, if I'm. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that would probably be it. I was thinking it probably tasted like kicks. I just remember it not tasting very good. And I also remember the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cereal not tasting very good as well. It's amazing. Spoiler alert. Yeah. It's amazing. They do not do a better job with those tie-ins. Um, so going on to the actual film itself. So, I mean, we've already talked about this, you know, some of the uh, some of the lead up and just the, the absolute just insatiability that the public had for this movie. The movie comes out to the surprise of nobody. It's a giant hit. Um, going back and watching the movie through today's eyes, what are some of the things that you think really worked about Batman 1989? I think the pacing was awesome. Uh, me and Melissa watched it last night. And I was going to take notes, but I was like so into it. Like I stopped, I stopped taking notes after like, you know, the credits were rolling in the beginning, like saying, you know, music by Danny Elfman. I was just like enthralled by, (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty much just enthralled by it. I mean, it just goes by so fast and I just couldn't believe like it was over. How long is the movie anyways? Like an hour and a half? I think it's like two hours and 20. It's, it's, are you serious? It's a longer movie. Yeah. It's, it's. Wow. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm actually going to look that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, I'm sorry. It is two hours and six minutes. So it is over two hours. Wow. Honestly, I felt like we were just, you know... I couldn't believe, like, when they were already in the tower. Yes. The pacing's awesome on it. I think the development of the characters is really cool. People were upset that they made, you know, Joker the killer of Batman's parents. But I think it works so well mm-hmm. in this movie. Because you just... It's just, it's awesome. I mean, I, I can't say much more about it than it's just incredible. Yeah, and I, uh, it's actually kind of funny. One of the things um, I, I learned doing a little bit of research here was that the revelation of the Joker killing Bruce Wayne's parents, um, obviously not the, you know, the traditional background story people are used to where it was, you know, a street thug named Joe Chill, but uh, Batman co-creator Bob Kane actually approved of the twist and said if he would, if they would have been planning that out that far ahead of time, he probably would have made the Joker the killer as well. So I think from a logical standpoint, 
I mean, for the movie, it makes perfect sense. And even, you know, when the guy who, you know, co-created the damn comic is saying like, yeah, if we would have thought about it, that would have been a great, <laughs> that's a good idea. That's a pretty, I think that's pretty high praise. So I think that shows that, you know, it was a, it was a risky creative choice, but I mean, to me, I think it paid off. And I got to say a quick thing about Bob Kane. I was watching like one of the small featurettes. It's like three minutes where it was uh, his wife uh, speaking about how, you know, it just brought tears to his eyes when he went to the premiere because he couldn't believe uh, so many people cared about one of his creations. He just seemed like such a humble guy and what a great creator. I just wanted to give him props because Batman is don- honestly one of the greatest creations in you know our modern history, like of entertainment. Major props to Bob Kane. Um, <laughs> like I actually uh, feel like I need to, I should bring this up. So I actually watched a documentary called Batman and Bill um, sometime in the last year or so, and I guess unfortunately it seems like Bob Kane kind of screwed over this guy named Bill Finger who actually created a lot of <laughs> a lot of the traditional stuff that we associate with Batman. Um, Bob Kane, don't get me wrong, was definitely involved, was a huge part of it. I was going to say, uh, let me just, uh, I'm going to edit that out. I'm just going to say, fuck Bob Kane. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, that was part of the feeling I had, at least, you know, during at least part of this uh, Batman and Bill documentary, which is uh, on Hulu for anybody. I highly recommend checking it out. If you're a Batman fan, comic fan, whatever. Um, It's just a super interesting story. And I think this uh, built, this guy, Bill Finger deserves a ton of credit and it's it's a sad one of those type of things it's a uh, it's a sad thing to hear that he wasn't recognized during his lifetime uh, i believe he died in the maybe late 70s or during the 80s definitely before the movie premiered at least i believe um didn't get you know an unsung hero of the franchise for sure so uh did you watch that three minute feature at what i watched uh i think i did at some point and i probably felt the same exact way and then when i watched that bill finger documentary (laughs) i was a little uh, like i was a little pissed off for the guy um it did seem like i think now for anything batman related as a result of certain concessions that bob kane made later that um it does now say like batman created by like bob kane maybe like with bill finger or some shit like but there is like recognition so there is some sort of recognition now it's just very unfortunate that during his lifetime bill finger was not able to reap the benefits of that creation okay um so starting to bring down there guys um but going back to the things that we think (laughs) work about the movie um is uh i like again to your point pacing i think is great to me uh and i think i mentioned this to you when we were talking about doing this episode it may be in in an odd way or something like it's one of these things that's just comforting to me like i'll watch this movie probably two to three times a year if i'm ever sick like if i'm homesick just like laid up on the couch like i for some reason i always have to watch this movie it's just like that's like my go-to if it's ever on tv like no matter where it is i'll pick it up and i'll just kind of watch it from there um i just and yeah the pacing i think is great it does go by super fast for a movie that's over two hours um i think just the world that they created there like knowing that this was filmed pretty much entirely on a studio lot uh at pinewood studios in england it's just amazing like the, the fact that and it really is a lost art like creating that world on a set like i think just what they did there was so freaking cool and i believe production designer uh anton first Actually, I won the Academy Award for that uh, for production design that year for Batman, which is the only Oscar I believe that Batman received, which is a goddamn travesty. But um, I think just creating that world, like I mean, just what like for me, like as you like even now, like if you think about Gotham City, what it should look like, that's just how it always looks to me in my head. I think they just did such a great job with that. The performances are obviously top notch. I don't think anybody in the cast was really a weak link. I mean, Keaton Nicholson, Basinger, 
uh, this, any of the supporting players, uh, I think are just amazing. So I think just so many things came together, uh, to make like a super, just memorable, just great movie that really brought superheroes back into the public consciousness. So, um, now that we've talked about some of the things that we thought worked, Jace, what are a couple things, you know, if pushed, you would say didn't work so much for this movie? One scene in particular. Joker announces on, you know, television that he's going to be throwing out $20 million, you know, doing this parade for the 200th anniversary. Whatever. Yep, 200th cel- yep, anniversary of Gotham, yes. Yep, 200 year celebration of Gotham. He's going to have this parade. He's going to be throwing out $20 million. We know how ridiculous people are. If you're going to even give them like a fucking free Tootsie Pop or mm-hmm. a Tootsie Roll, like at, you know... The, we even in our local towns, like if we ever had like a thing where there would be a car, like couple cars driving down, it's supposed to be like a parade, and they're just throwing out a tootsie roll, a police car with like a you know dumbass like uh, Boy Scouts walking in front of it. There's a huge, <laughs> there's a huge crowd because people want tootsie rolls. Yes, yes. But you're telling me if you're gonna throw out like twenty million dollars, there's they seriously only had about like fifty extras on that set. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's no. There's gonna be like. There's going to be like hordes of people like people would have been coming in from other cities and stuff to get out there. Yep. And Gotham, like everybody looks like fucking garbage. Everybody's like poor and stuff. And you can't tell me they couldn't like, you know, there's probably thousands of bums in that city and they couldn't all come out. 50 freaking people. That, that's the only thing I was like, there's just no <laughs> way I was telling Melissa, like if, if they were throwing out that money, there would be like 200 million people. Like everybody in the country would have been. They'd in Gotham, all went home with a dollar that night. Um, or no, so two hundred million. So they were all went home with a dime that night. Um, so yeah, I. Uh, it is funny because um, you know, obviously, you knowing that this is like my favorite movie since we were children. I remember you bringing it up at some point, like several years back, saying like, "Oh, like Batman was on the other day," and I like I watched it. Or maybe you just you even know what? Just- and I forgot. I thought it was a million dollars, but then it was twenty million dollars. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> But it was funny because I remember you say like, God, there's some things that are just like so freaking cheesy or whatever. And like, you know, me just being like, yeah, again, like it's my favorite thing since I was three years old. Just was like, well, what do you mean? And I remember you explaining this scene to me and I never really thought about it in that way. And you had brought up, you were saying like, it's ridiculous because like on both sides of this, like the floats and stuff, there's like 20 people on each side. And it's probably like the same people that they just had like move when they did different shots from each side of the float. And when I went back and rewatched it, um, like the next time I watched it after that, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that is like super unrealistic. There's no police presence. There's no like, yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no, but like, like, I mean, a jo- like Joker somehow like has these like giant freak parade balloons and floats that like, who knows, like where the fuck those are even coming from in the first place. I don't know. I guess he has a warehouse downtown somewhere. Like just, yeah, like the, the, the very small group of people that showed up, it was one of those things that in a way it did kind of like blow that illusion for me. Cause I like, if you had not brought that up, I probably would have never picked up on it. I was been like, Oh, it's not, you know, it's the parade scene coming up. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I, I appreciate that in a way. Um, it is funny because one of the things uh, like speaking to not only just the number of people that are there, but like the lack of police presence, like where the hell is the police? Like, again, like let's say that this even unfolds. Like it was sad that like the Joker somehow gets the proper permits to get a parade float and go down the middle of like a main drag like right in front of a uh, city hall, I believe like throwing out cash. Where's the police at? And one of the things I learned um, was that there was actually a scene written 
uh, which wasn't filmed, which again, like probably not a great idea, but the Joker took over the public ceremony, which I think we kind of see, but he held Mayor Borg hostage, which actually caused Mayor Borg to experience a like, complete psychological breakdown. He unveiled a statue of himself, laced the Gotham, Gotham City, <laughs> this is a little bit lazy writing, but laced the <laughs> Gotham City Police Department's coffee with non-lethal poison. <laughs> And God for like, I guess every literally every cop uh, drinks coffee. So it was and every cop was on, you know, at the police department like uh, that day getting coffee. At least they didn't say like they put a non-lethal dose uh, in every cop's donut. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, (laughs) well, it's more gritty, you know, so so, like I guess he was to like lace the coffee with a non-lethal poison. And that was supposed to be the backstory uh, why there was no police in that scene. Obviously, this was never filmed, and obviously it led to confusion, um, ad nauseum for folks over the years, to your point. But just to let anybody know out there, there was, somebody did foresee this, probably a guy who got fired for suggesting it, um, but there was a scene that was uh, was written, but it just was not filmed. So I got to agree with you that um, once you brought that up to me, when I go back and rewatch it now, that's definitely one of the big things that does not hold up. Um Otherwise, I mean, honestly, the things that people bitch about just because people complain about, you know, absolutely everything. I don't know. I I, I don't find them, you know, as I don't find them distracting. Like I, I like some people I think had it where like and uh, some of this like uh, during some of the sets, you can see that there's clearly like, you know, paintings in the background, like how they used to kind of do. In the, I think that's kind of cool. Like I like that. I like yeah, that. I, like I think that. that's I think that's kind of a sweet thing to see. In a, in a big budget movie like this. So, you know, I don't see that as being an issue. And, you know, some other people obviously had a, took, uh, took offense or took issue with uh, Nicholson's performance saying, you know, that's not like the sadistic. Jo- I know, I know at one point, I guess there was even a, like people were angry about his weight of play as playing the Joker, which I mean, again, seems like kind of petty quibbling. So, yeah, I mean, I got to say going back, that's probably the thing for me, uh, the only other thing that sticks out uh, being at the end when they're at the top of the cathedral, um, you know, I love the the Batman confrontation scene with the Joker up there, but it is odd to me. Um, so Batman, you know, is approaching him. He's, you know, punched him out, punched him around a couple times. Uh, he punches Joker over the ledge of the cathedral. And again, maybe this is where like the, you know, maybe the Jack Nicholson, you know, physique thing comes into it. So he does, you know, essentially like a backflip over the back of the cathedral. Batman and Vicky Vale go to look over the side. Nicholson somehow landed on his feet on a like, you know, six inch ledge <laughs> and then pulls both of them down um, with him. So maybe people are just saying it's not believable. Um, yeah, that part is a little strange. I, I actually do like the ending, um, where the Joker's about to escape on the, his helica- helicopter and he's getting on the ladder and Batman using one of his gadgets, because if you think about it, you know, that's what Batman's kind of known for. I mean, he's good at hand-to-hand combat, but he's also like, he comes up with all these cool gadgets. Um, and you know, he ties his leg to that, uh, gargoyle statue, which ends up, uh, causing him to plummet to his death. So I don't know. I think those were the only two things to me in my head that I thought like maybe just were from a writing standpoint, could have used maybe a second draft. But I mean, overall, though, I think, you know, a couple of minor hiccups, you know, which is even difficult for me to have to admit, uh, being you know such a huge fan of this uh, and it being my favorite movie for, you know, 30 plus years now. Um, I, I still love it. I'm willing to forgive those hiccups. Uh, but I think they just I think they created something truly memorable and truly deserves to be seen. I think it's a it's an essential film. So um Oh, for sure. And I want to mention the ending of the film is awesome. I love how Joker is so weak 
Mm-hmm. Like he just gets his completely, you know, he gets his ass whooped and without like all of his cronies and stuff. I like how they made the Joker. I mean, I'm sure they had no choice because Nicholson's like <laughs> wasn't in great shape. So it's not like he could do a fight scene or anything. But <laughs> <laughs> I like how they did make him weak without his cronies and stuff. He was a very beatable supervillain. Yeah. Like, I mean, it kind of going back to the from what I remember, at least from reading comics as a kid was the Joker was good if he was, you know, surprise attacking you or if he was like, you know, cheating, essentially, like if he would, you know, somehow have some sort of a trap or something planned or something like that, or he had his cronies with him. But if it was going to be one on one combat, yeah, I mean, he was going to get his ass kicked. He wasn't, you know, market or like that. He wasn't kind of built up to be this you know, unstoppable force or this like great, you know, fighter or warrior, whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I think that in that way, they definitely stayed true to the character for sure. Yeah. I mean, overall, um, I guess if we want to give it uh, a ranking, I mean, how would you rank this? Uh, I'd give it a good nine out of 10. I, I honestly love this movie. Anytime it's ever going to be on TV, I'm going to watch it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, being, you know, maybe a little biased, um, I, I got to go 10 out of 10 just because, Again, we talked about some of the some of the um, hiccups in the in the film, or some of the things that maybe just don't jive as well as uh, you would hope, or maybe age as well. But I just still love it. I think from a just even just a pop culture influence standpoint, it's it's huge. I mean, I think without it, even like the superhero thing today, which I don't full follow really closely at all, but I think just without it and the uh, influence, it kind of cast on the on just pop culture and as a whole i think it, it wouldn't exist so i think that there's a there's a lot of debt owed to it so definitely a uh definitely i think an indispensable film so um I, a couple other things i just want to bring up so I, one of the things i want to ask you so we were talking just how memorable the film score is uh by danny elfman what you know i guess an uh, actual member of oingo boingo interesting fun fact and there's that not only the original film score by Danny Elfman, but then there were also original songs made for the movie by Prince, which is a pretty unique thing. That's not something you typically, I don't know if I've ever seen for a movie, honestly, is like a, a film mm-hmm. score completely unique from original songs by a, a just mega popular artist. Um, what do you think of the score and what do you think of the original songs? I'm going to say Danny Elfman's music, music in this is legendary. Prince... I'm not like a huge Prince fan, but I think the songs that they did use for the movie, it fit in really well, especially for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what the song they used for when the Joker and his cronies are, you know, destroying the art museum. Party man. Party man. <laughs> but <laughs> It's literally called party man. Party man. <laughs> I did a good job naming that. Um, <laughs> but that is, that is such a funny scene. The music works perfectly with that. I guess they, he made, like, a ton of songs for this movie, so they only, you know, uh, Tim Burton handpicked a couple songs that he wanted to use, like Party Man. Um, <laughs> because some of the some of the songs, I went back and I kind of listened to them. Uh, you know, I found them online. He, he, he did the right thing, just handpicking a couple of them. It if, if, if the whole score was going to be uh, a lot of the Prince music, it would have just been, it would have been absurd. Uh, yes. But Tim Burton uh, did a really good job with uh, picking Danny Elfman, and they, those two guys have worked together brilliantly throughout. Like Danny Elfman is freaking incredible. He is, and I guess this—I guess this was his like real big break. So I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did Beetlejuice too. Yes, yes, he did. 
I think that was but a- this 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 really got him known because this was a huge huge movie. Beetlejuice is he the music in that is incredible. Danny Elfman is incredible. Yes, absolutely, I agree. And the and the score for this, I mean, I think honestly, when most people think of Batman, you associate with that with a theme. You know, at this point, you know, for <laughs> I think for much better, uh, people associate that with Danny Elfman's theme as opposed to the theme for the 1960s television show. Well, it was pretty cool because, like, when you told me that you wanted to do this episode last week, I just had that on my Spotify, so I probably looked pretty cool, like driving through our parking structure, like with that music <laughs> blasting. <laughs> going going to my accounting job would probably yeah. look pretty cool the guy in that buick that thinks he's in the batmobile that's pretty cool uh yeah no it's the score is amazing like i got it on you know i think i have a cd of it somewhere so i do i have like you know put it on my phone or whatever so i can listen to that whenever but it's it's amazing i mean if you just listen to the entire thing so many just memorable themes in there that i mean the batman theme i i, I it's right up there with jaws star wars whatever the most like memorable and just greatest themes ever created so definitely a uh, huge fan of danny elfman's work and yeah the same i mean the same thing with the prince stuff like i mean a lot of people i think have taken taken a stance on that where they're not huge fans of it but to your point not only for the time but just even to fit in with the character like how just ridiculous the joker is i, I think it just makes sense like he has these goofy you know funky songs playing when he's doing his ridiculous shit so i i, I take no offense to that i i love their inclusion in the movies i think the movie's better for it i think so too um the success of this and as well as it's you know batman Ret- Returns, I believe, uh, good returns as well, um, prompted Warner Brothers to create Batman the Animated Series, which I think a lot of people, I, I would definitely agree and say that it is, I think, the quintessential animated superhero series that was ever created. I, I love what they did with it. Definitely took some stylistic cues from this movie and this in- incarnation of Batman. So if it, you know, resulted in just in that alone, a huge huge compliment and not only uh just a, a big plus just for us as fans definitely one of my favorite cartoons it transcended it was like one of those cartoons that a lot of adults like to watch too yes awesome amazing show I actually watched saw a few episodes of that not too long ago within the last couple of weeks and it holds up it is a it's a great show good writing unbelievable uh artistic direction and just an amazing show all around can't recommend it enough great voice acting too oh god yeah kevin conroy as batman is amazing mark Hamill is the Joker. I think people would say, you know, if anybody's going to voice the Joker at this point, it's hard to imagine that not being Mark Hamill. So. (laughs) We are actually going to be talking to somebody who was there in 1989 when they filmed this damn thing. And he's uh, like, we can find you actually see him in the movie. He was just an extra. If when we get the timestamp, we'll figure it out. We'll post that out there on Instagram, Twitter. So you guys can check it out. But this guy was actually there. This, uh, if you listen to the last episode, which I hope you did, it was a great episode. Um, we talked about George Gantz and that's who we are going to be talking to today. And he's going to tell us a little bit about being on the set and, you know, share some stories about it. I am super, super excited. I I can't wait to find out what scene he was in. Yeah, I can't. I mean, like we talked to George recently and Jason, I think you would agree. Just like such a nice, just sweet guy. Just so just down to earth, too, for a guy who's like been in this many movies. Yeah, I mean, he's the sweetest man you'll ever meet. And I I can't wait to get him on here. Hello, boss. George. Hi, how are you doing, boss? Pretty good. It's me, Jason, and uh, Josh is with me and we can't wait. (laughs) 
this is Jason, but Josh, do you want to... George, what's... George, how are you? It's like, I, I know we just talked, but it's it's great to talk to you again. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing good. I am... Uh, I'm hanging in there, boys. I, I've been really looking forward to this all week, and uh, I'm just excited to talk about this movie, because I had a lot of fun doing this. I had a lot of fun being on the set with this movie, in particular. And I and I was in a lot of movies. George, how did you even get in this movie? Viv, my, you know, Viv, my, my wife, you guys met her last time I, you, I, when I was on the Grand Pan, I, I showed you some, I, Viv showed up and she waved, do you remember saying hi to Viv? Yeah, we love Viv. Hi, Viv. She's not here right now, but I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell her that you said hello. Um, so we were, we were in London for our, our 30th wedding anniversary, and, uh, we were, uh, Viv was really, she's a real big traveler, and she wanted to see, you know, the Tower of London, and, and uh, you know, the Big Ben, and Westwood, all that. I was walking around the streets, and I saw a guy, and he was wearing a, a jacket, a leather jacket that had the Joker on it. And I thought, that's, that's a cool jacket, huh? And I, I'm, a, I'm a big Batman fan, back to when I was a little boy. So I went up to him, and I started chatting him up, and I said, hey, you know, it's a cool jacket, where can I get one of those? I would like one. He told me he was actually a camera operator on the film, the Batman movie, that they were making, you know, as as we lived and breathed there in London. I said, oh, that's got to be a, that's got to be a real cool experience. That's for, congratulations, that's awesome. He told me, go, and we, me and Viv, we took him to lunch because he was an American guy, and, you know, I think he was a little bit homesick. And we took him to lunch, and we get talking, and he goes, George, you know, you guys have been so hospitable. What, I'm going to do something for you. You don't got to do any of that. You don't got to do any of that, Bill. Don't worry about it. And he said, I'm going to do something for you. I'm gonna get you on the set today, George. How would you like to be? How would you like to be an extra in the Batman movie? And I, I, oh, oh, I started, whew, I've, 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 I probably, I started squealing. I, I just couldn't believe. I was so excited. I couldn't believe. I, I, I said, you don't gotta do that. You're gonna get fired if you do that. And uh, he said, no, George. I, I, I want to do this for you. This is gonna be a real cool thing. So he got me onto the set. They filmed it over at uh, Pinewood Studios and over in London. He brought us on the set, and they were filming a scene that day, and it was a uh, that parade. The the do you guys remember the parade scene in the movie? Oh, uh, I, I gotta admit, I was actually just kind kind of making fun of that scene. The only reason I was making fun of it, uh, George, and I don't know if you agree with this. The Joker in that scene is throwing out $20 million. He puts out the, you know, everybody knows that he's going to be throwing out $20 million. Yeah. And only 50 people show up. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I thought that was a little... I thought that was a little strange myself. I got to admit, but you know, because I've been I've been on a lot of movies set, and mostly as an extra. But I like I like to understand the story. I like to understand what's going on. What what would a guy who's just kind of standing in the background be thinking while this is going on? And I'll admit I thought that was a little strange. But I mean, I've been a Batman fan since I was you know I was a little boy. I was three three four years old, and so I I just couldn't. I was such a trip for me to be there, and I was so excited and. We did that scene, had so much fun. The cast, the crew, everybody was just real down to earth, real nice, just good, kind-hearted people. And one, th- I'm, I'm going to tell you, boy, the story. Josh, I didn't tell you this one, so this is going to be a surprise. I can't wait, George. This can't. You've been holding out on me, George. <laughs> so I go to the bathroom, right? You know, there's a bathroom on the set, and I'm sitting there, and I'm uh, taking a leak. You know, pardon my language, and I'm sitting there, and uh, this fellow walks up next to me, and I don't, I don't think much of it. And, I look over. It's no, it's none other. Jack Nicholson. No way. Jack, yep, yep. Jack Nicholson in full Joker costume, full Joker face paint, everything, fully dressed. I mean, we just got done shooting that parade scene. 
So he comes, he's taking the league, and I, I still, you know, I, I've been, like I said, I've been on a lot of movie sets, but I, I got, I got starstruck, you know, because this, I mean, this guy, he's an icon. I mean, he's such a talented kid, and we're sitting there, and I'm trying to, you know, do I say something? Do I not say something? And before I can even figure out what I'm gonna do, he, he leans over to me and he goes, "Hey, Ken," and I said, "Oh, uh, oh, hello, how are, how are you?" How are you doing today? And uh, he said, this movie's going to be big. Mark my word. This movie's going to make $250 million plus. And I said, whoa. And I, whoa, I, was, oh, I was so, I was so excited. I couldn't even process what was going on. If I, if I went back, I can't remember what I said to him. If I'm just being honest. And he He's just such a such a nice guy, and I, I said, I said, well, I, you know, I'm just, I was just an extra on the scene today, and it's, I had a lot of fun, and I, I wish you nothing but the best for the movie, and nothing but the best for your career, because I've, I've seen a lot of your films, and you're a real, you're a real talented actor, man. He said, just watch, it's gonna be big. Mark my words, and I just, I just couldn't believe it, and, I, and he was right. That's the amazing, the amazing thing about it was he was right. That movie made, it did make $250 million plus. And he made a lot of money off that movie. And he deserved it. Because he did not only a heck of a performance, but just a very nice person. That is Holy uh, crap. That's, that's freaking incredible. Dude, Nicholson. Dude, that is awesome. Josh George does a great Nicholson, George. That was God. great. Yeah, I can see why you're in all those movies. You do good voice work, too. Oh, thank you, but George, you had another great story because Jace, George's love of Batman doesn't just go back to the fact that he got to be an extra in the movie that we're talking about today and he got to eat from the craft services table. The, George is a, I mean, he's an OG uh, Batman fan, if I'm saying that right. George, tell him a little bit about what you told me on the boat back there in Maui. When I was a young boy, probably, I don't know, I want to say seven or eight, I had a Batman Number one. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, there was a little bit of a difference because it wasn't it wasn't Detective Comics number number twenty seven. It was Batman number one. And when you know because they did a reprint and Batman number one when they they officially restarted or reissued as Batman as his own comic book series that was the following year. So it's not the one that you would see selling for one two million dollars. No 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 no. But Batman number one. I think it's usually forty, fifty, sixty thousand. It was depending. A lot of money. Holy, yeah. So I, I would had, say so. Yeah, a lot. Of, I mean, that's a lot in today's money. You know. Uh, so I had a Batman number one. I traded my neighbor Billy Dennis, and I traded him ten Joe Palookas for that. And I love Joe Palooka. I, that was a that was a hard transaction for me to make. And I don't know if kids still collect comic books, trade comic books. But that's what that's what we used to do as kids. We didn't have so many different entertainment outlets as they have today, which I think is great. I think it's awesome. It really helps kids' imaginations, and it really just it really just so cool for me to see. And I traded Billy Jennison ten Joe Palookas for that Batman number one, and. Oh, I, I love that. I mean, that was my pride and joy, and I and I didn't really share it too much with my with my parents and whatnot because they you know they were they were busy. They had you know they were raising four boys, but that was my that was my prize possession. And I enlisted in the service when I was eighteen years old. I came home, my Batman number one was gone. My mom, my mama, oh, 
God, God rest her soul. God bless her. I, I thank God for her every day. I talk to her every day. She sold my Batman number one in a garage sale. No. For five cents. Oh. Five cents. <laughs> and I, oh, I came home. I went to go, you know, I mean, I go back to stay in my bedroom and I go looking for my Batman number one is gone. And in my mind, she just didn't know. You know, she thought it was just, you know, it's kid stuff. It's, it's comic books. You know, George is coming back. He's, you know, he's a man now. And she was right. But, oh, whew, that one, that one stung a little bit. Viv, I, I tell, I, Viv knows that story. She tells me all the time, George, I'm going to buy you that Batman number one. I say, Viv, you're going to spend that much money. I'll, give me a Cadillac or something. You know what I mean? Don't don't spend on Batman. Or you, I mean, if, if I could have both a Batman number one in, in a Cadillac, that would be, I mean, that would be a dream come true. But, boy, yeah, that's how that's how far I go back. Though. I absolutely love this Bat, the, I love the Batman. And I, I I just can't wait to see the see what they do with the franchise. Thank you so much, George, for joining us today. And Josh, can we even go on from here? I think we got to close out the show with George. No, no problem, boys. I'm gonna. I gotta get going because Viv's making us a nice lunch, and I'm gonna go eat. But you guys just let me know. And anytime you guys are in a movie, even if it was a movie I wasn't in, I, I love to talk movies. Or just, I just love to talk in general, as Viv says. So <laughs> just get a hold of me, and I'll be, I'll be on whenever you guys need it. Okay. George, we love you. Thank you so much for joining the JNO podcast, and and we would love to have you on whenever you want to be on. Thank you again. Those are great stories, and gosh, that that was just awesome, Josh. That was great. Um, it looks, I doesn't, I don't think George knows how to hang up his grand pegs. It looks like it's just pointed to the ceiling right now. So he probably just put it down next to him. Um, that's okay. Um, no, awesome. Awesome. So George, thank you again, guys. I hope you enjoyed hearing George's stories. Um, no, I, I really I don't think there's anywhere you go. I mean, we have a guy who, who stood inches from Nicholson as the Joker. So yeah, it's probably not going to get much better than that. Uh, thanks for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have not seen it, watch Batman 1989. If you have seen it, revisit it. It's worth it. I'm telling you, I, you know, I give you my word on that. So guys, thank you for listening. Check us out, um, and Twitter at, at JNO podcast, all spelled out on Instagram at JNO podcast, also all spelled out. And guys, Drop us a note at our email as well, jnlpodcast, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Let us know of any idea, episodes that you guys would like to see, any movies that you'd like to see us cover, and who knows, George may have been in those as well. Thanks again, guys. That was so much fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. Excuse me. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight?